0: Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts, and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith, and
1: without further ado, let's get into the word. Uh, Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you for another time where we can gather to hear your word, hear your teachings, hear the instructions you've given us as sons and daughters of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that as we enter a new month and a new theme, and as we listen to the special guest speaker we have today, may our hearts and our minds be opened and may we um, partake of the wisdom and knowledge that you'll be passing on to us from all of scripture. Lord, I pray for the speaker who is addressing us, give him wisdom, give him um, gentleness of speech, clarity of mind and understanding so that we can all learn and apply this to our lives as Christians. Um, Those of us who are hungry for your word, Lord, may we be satisfied today. Those of us who are seeking instruction for the next phase of our lives, may we hear it clearly in this message and may our hearts be full of joy knowing that your gospel is moving in our lives and will continue to move in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Hi, guys. How are you doing? So good to have you all here. Um, this is Bible Marathon. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're going to welcome you especially at some point. Um, but yeah, last month was beautiful. And I want to say thank you so much for everyone who has been a part of what we're doing here. Um but we're just about to kick it up a notch, right? We still have this month, which is a very beautiful month, as you're going to see soon. We have September, we have October, we have November, and we have December. And I'm just glad that we've, you know, come a long way. We've really come a long way. Um, one of the things that I'm most thankful for is the testimonies I keep getting um, from people who have been consistent. And what I just want to encourage you, uh, to do is regardless of how you feel regardless of how difficult it might be to be consistent please try to be um, growth is really the result of consistency and um, that's what God wants for us so if you have difficulties in any way and you need help you know, to be consistent on this platform and what we do here, let us you know reach out, right? Everyone needs help um to a degree. So I just wanted to add that real quick. All right, so we're gonna get started. This is a new month, and the theme of this month we've you know this is something that when when it comes to um deciding the theme of the month, there's always something in mind, right? But it's like how do we effectively communicate what we have in mind? and we always have that challenge sometimes sometimes we have just this amazing easy title some other times it's like we don't have that kind of title and we have to think deeply on what it would be this month we've titled this month chronicles of the lion and the lamb all right and someone might be like what does that mean are we going to learn about the chronicles of narnia by c.s lewis or are we going to like Read stories, go go back to storybooks? Are we reading first and second chronicles? Right. So there may be a lot of questions, but really the theme of this month is ultimately to glorify and to understand the person and the work of Jesus. We we can never have enough of, of this. If we have every single month of the year dedicated to learning about Jesus, trust me, we're doing exactly what we should. And um, I think the essential part of Our lives um, on this earth and even beyond this earth is worship to God. So, what we want to do here is to equip you. This month, we're going to equip you. It might seem like we're telling stories, the titles might be interesting to you, but look beyond the titles. All right. Get ready. Get ready to take notes. Get ready to receive. And I'll tell you something that will happen prophetically at the end of this series. You're going to meet people that have more questions than ever before, and you have the answers to them. Say amen. You know, like some people don't don't realize how important it is to be trained in knowing how to defend your faith. I will tell you a story if I get the chance to, but yesterday, um, I I went out shopping with Ife and um, a few other members of BMG that I met here, I'm, I'm not at home, some of you will be able to tell, my background is different, and we met a guy at the store. Um, from a particular church and he just comes to me and says hey he wants to talk to me he wants me to join the bible study i'm like oh where are you from i start asking questions i pray a little bit i find out this guy believes something different on you know on how to get saved he says to get saved you need to partake in the passover i'm like okay let's walk backwards and we have a conversation and the long story because it's a long story but long story short I get to realize that this guy doesn't know. I mean, he's trained in what he has been taught, obviously. Like, same thing happens with the Jehovah's Witnesses or any other group that poses to be fully Christian or historically Christian. Um, But the point is, if I wasn't trained in discerning and, and in apologetics, That'll be a problem because i'll just be listening to this guy telling me that jesus has come a second time he's in south korea by the way that's what they believe and that we he brought back the passover <laughs> we'll talk about this if we have the time maybe next year what will address christian cults what they believe and how to refute their claims from scripture but the point of what yeah, what i'm saying is that by the end of this month you would have enough information you'll be equipped to answer questions about Jesus. Because if there's anyone that is being attacked the most on this planet planet right now, it's Jesus. Like I'm telling you, Christianity is under attack and God wants us to be ready to answer those questions. So that's what this month is all about. Who is this Jesus? All right, and we're taking the symbolic style or symbolic approach, looking at lion and lamb. And you see why, mm-hmm. if that's new to you, Welcome. If it's not new to you, still have an open heart. I'm not going to be the one teaching today. I have my brother, my friend for a very, very long time. Um, Myra has been my friend for ah, it's been so long. And um, we met, uh, we became friends um, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think the friends that I make through the gospel of Jesus are just the most amazing. Um, and I hope that's your story too. But Myra is going to be taking us on a session. John today titled The Lion King and I just want us to agree together right now in prayer and then I'll let him go ahead and teach us all right so let's just pray. Uh, Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for this gathering. We know that it is built and established to edify us and to strengthen our faith so right now I pray for my brother Myro, that he is strengthened with might in his inner man and that every utterance he would make today will be to the glory of Of God and hearts will be open to receive the truth in your word. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So, with joy, I want you guys to unmute yourselves and say welcome in BMG style. Welcome, Myro. We love you and we're ready to receive. Let's do that.
1: Welcome, Myro. 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 We
3: love you. All
4: right, brother. Over to you. Thank you, Enes. Can everyone hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, okay. Yes, thank we can. you. Um, first, I want to start with thanking um the leaders and the facilitators of this platform. It's an honor to be here, one I don't take lightly. Thank you very much. Um, then also. Okay, let's just start. Let's just start. Okay, so when NS gave me this topic, it was. It was daunting in, in, in a sense, because this is a topic that's very important, one. Two, it's also vast and large. So I'm going to be taking us through a series of t- texts in the Bible, a lot of them. So please bear with me and open your Bible as we go along. All right. So I would like to start um, with a text that's popular in the body of Christ, Second Timothy Chapter 2, verse 15. Please let me know if you're ready so I could just take, I could just read on from there. I'm just giving everyone time to get there. Okay. So it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So now, um, Paul was writing to Timothy his son in faith, and he was telling him to be diligent. And what it means here to be diligent, it means to work hard, to study, to make sure that he's not caught off guard when it comes to things that pertain to God and defense of God. So as a believer, our priority, our purpose in life is to know Christ and to make him known. And the first part, I believe most people here have fulfilled our first part. They, they've heard the gospel, they've received the gift of grace, they've believed on to salvation. And now the second part, which is evangelizing to others, is the tricky part because this part requires knowledge. And so this same advice Paul gave to Timothy is applicable to all Christians. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it's your personal responsibility as a believer to be able to equip yourself with the knowledge of God for two purposes. One, for worship and two, for defense. And that leads me to the second text I'm going to be reading today to start this. um, First Peter, chapter three, verse 15. 1 Peter three fifteen, it says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear." Now Peter was writing. Apostle Peter was writing to the body of Christ, and he was saying, "Sanctify the Lord in your hearts." What it means to sanctify the Lord in your heart is to Set him apart to make it sacred in your heart. So, how does a believer sanctify the Lord in his hearts? Here is by making the knowledge of God sacred to you, something that you hold dearly to your heart. Because the knowledge of God is not just for argument or defense, it's also for worship. Proper theology inspires worship. That's why you see that there are some hymns that you you came across as you were growing and right now that you have more accurate knowledge of God's word, some of those hymns hit deeply. They hit more, they're more strong to you right now, especially my favorite is um, in Christ alone, right? No No guilt in life, no fear in death. Those are words that, to be honest, those two lines alone can keep you in your conviction as a Christian. No guilt in life. No fear in death, because that was the purpose of God's work. That was why Jesus came to die, to make us, to present us to God, holy and blameless. So, right, that's what it means to sanctify your heart, to, see, to put the knowledge of Christ as sacred in your heart. And also, he now gives an instruction, be ready to give a defense to so everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, we're not just to know God, but we're to make him known right? We, it's our primary purpose that if there's anyone anywhere that we come across that has a question about God, we should be equipped enough to give that person adequate knowledge from what we know. You may not know everything, but you should be able to answer basic questions like how does a person get saved and, saved and rest? So that's the purpose of this teaching. To equip you for accurate knowledge and worship, because you cannot worship a God you don't know. It's just like love languages. So somebody says, I like acts of service. And then you think the person wants, um, can everybody give me one of the five? I can't seem to remember any of that except acts of service. Okay. Quality time. Touch. Quality time. So you decide to give the person quality time, right? You sit down, you just to the person, but that person has something that they want to do, right? But they feel, feel overwhelmed. So if you were, if you understood that person's love language, you could just offer or volunteer to give that person help in that area. And to be honest, that help will go further to the person than quality time with the person. So so it is with God. You cannot. Worship God the way you want. You can only worship God the way He has designed for us to worship Him. So, accurate knowledge of God, of Jesus, His work and who He is, equips us for better worship, and also inspires us to worship. Because the more you know Him, like the song says, the more you want to know Him. It just—it's a cycle. It keeps going. It gets better and better. Okay, so I uh, like to start with this. Okay, I would like to throw a question to the house. And this is a question that other people of other faith will ask. Why do you believe Jesus is Lord? Can anybody give me a simple answer? What you think, why you believe that Jesus is Lord?
3: I can give like two
1: in one. Okay. So, my number one reason is personal because I know for a fact that I personally encountered him. Um, you know, not just growing up in my faith, but I personally encountered Jesus when I was a bit younger. Then the other reason is more, you know, evidential. You look at the Bible. You look at the world and you look at the history of Christianity and you see all that has happened, you know. So basically, so those are basically my two responses. One is personal, the personal encounter. And the second one is like just studying the Bible and other evidences for the Bible.
4: All right. Thank you. So from your second point, I could infer that there's proof that made you, that um, strengthened your conviction. And that proof was from the Bible, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to be answering some simple questions. That's this, when I give you the answer, they will sound simple. But when when you meet people in, in the field, evangelizing, it can sound tricky. I remember the first time when questions like these came up. I, didn't, I was a young believer. I didn't know how to answer them. And I think I was evangelizing to somebody and one other person who supposedly was a believer too was saying, ah, he has a point. I didn't know how to answer the question, right? But I knew that whatever person was saying, the person I was evangelizing to was saying, wasn't right according to the small knowledge I had from the word of God. But I didn't have the answer to that question. so. These teachings like this equip you so that you don't have to be in such a position where you can give a direct answer and in the simplest way possible. So I'm going to start with the sects that we have that seem to challenge the deity of Jesus. So we all know that Jesus was a man. History proves that he was alive at a certain period and he died. So... It's proven that he was a man. And the Bible also tells us that he's a man. He was born. He he grew. He lived for three years and then died. So now I'm going to start with the um, misconceptions some sect have. Because it's not just enough to say, oh, Jesus was alive. Or he was a great prophet or whatever any other um, faith believes about Jesus, because many religions have an opinion of who Jesus is. It is very important to note that Jesus was and is God. In as much as he was a man, he was and is God. So I'm going to start with the Muslims, right? Um, Islam believes that Jesus, I have four points for Islamic, the the um for islam islam believes that jesus was a prophet that he was a great prophet their quran believes that he was a prophet they believe that he was not the son of god because they believe that jesus like that god has no son so jesus cannot be the son of god because god has no son but they believe he was born of a virgin the quran doesn't really talk much about women in fact no chapter was devoted to a woman except Miriam, who we know as Mary. And in the Quran, Jesus is also called the Word of God. So I'll take those four points again. They believe that Jesus was a great prophet. They believe in the signs and wonders he did. They believed he was not the son of God because God has no sons. Because they don't believe God has sons. But they also believe that he was born of a virgin. Although the Quran doesn't talk much about women, they spoke about Mary, who was the virgin that gave birth to Jesus. And in the Quran, Jesus himself is called the Word of God. So remember I said that it's not just enough to have an opinion about Jesus. It is important to know what you believe about Jesus because it needs to be specific. I'll take that again. It's not just enough to honor Jesus or to say he's the word of God, he was born of a virgin, he's a great prophet, anything he says comes to pass, that's good, but it's not enough. It's not enough because that's not Christian revelation. And here is why that is not Christian revelation. Because according to scriptures, man was created by God, man sinned, and man fell. But man needed another man to redeem him, to pay the wages of that sin. But man in himself had that sinful nature. So no man could save humanity. So we needed a savior. And this is the simple message of the gospel. God himself became a man, which was Jesus Christ. Lived as a man, died for us, and paid the wages of our sin. And why was it, why was it effective? Because he didn't have the sinful nature; he was sinless. So, for us to say that he was a prophet and not um, not reckoned to the to the fact that he is God, would remove that efficacy of the death and resurrection of Jesus for the blotting away of our sins, because no man was perfect enough to take away the sins of the world only god could do that and that is why god had to come as a man so this is why just believing is a prophet or he was born of a virgin and any other thing that is true about jesus without the fact that jesus is god is not enough because the crux of our salvation and christian doctrine rests on the fact that god became a man died as a man took upon Himself, the sins of the world, and gave us His life. I hope I've not lost anyone. Please, if I if I've been too fast, please call me back. Are we okay up to this point?
3: Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're
4: good. All right, I'll move on. So that's where the Muslims. That's one of the things the Muslims have wrong about Jesus Christ. Um, so I'll move on to the next sect and this sect is the Jehovah's Witness uh, I don't know if, you li- if you've lived in Nigeria before you probably have met them once in your life at least once in your life I can give you a hint that are those people that used to come in the morning around, on a Saturday morning around maybe 8, 10 and knock with some pamphlets and they want to preach to you and those, they are very, 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 very strong on evangelism. But the issue they have is that their belief is not founded on scriptures. They believe that Jesus is an archangel. And if you understood what I just said about the Muslims, you, already, you can already spot the problem in this one. One, if Jesus was an archangel, that means an angel came to die for our sins. Which is troublesome because an angel could not die for our sins. So, to debunk this, let's go to Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 1 probably to the end so that I could take it step by step.
3: So, Hebrews is a
4: very, very powerful book. If you want to defend the deity of God, of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1. Hebrews, like the entire Hebrews, if you want to summarize it, it can be summarized in this sentence that Jesus is better. There was a lot of comparison between Jesus and other things like Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus has a better covenant and promise. Um, He has obtained a more excellent ministry because he's the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. He was, he's better than the angels. There's a lot of, Comparison between Jesus and other things. Many of the things that the Jews believed. So, the book of Hebrews was like a thesis to prove that everything they held or they understood, Jesus was either the revelation of that or he was better than that thing. So, Jesus was better than Moses. Moses gave them the law. But Jesus, now being better than Moses, he came to fulfill the law and now he has given us his spirit. So, let's just let, let me pause on that. Let's go to Hebrews 1. So, verse 1, it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to, to the fathers by the prophets. has in this last day spoken to us by his son. Last days here referring to after the death of Christ. Spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all, thing, all things, through whom also he made the world's. Now, if you remember, if you know John 1, it tells you in the beginning was the word and the world was with God, and the word is God. Right? In the next verse, he also tells you that by the word everything we know was created. So could you go back to verse 2? This last line says, Through whom also he made the world. Now he's already telling you that the Son of God what's the word? Because John already tells us, uh, okay, Ruth, um, when we're done with Hebrews 1, you'll be able to answer that person. And I also think that your Bible too, um, is a little bit tweaked. So if you're going to argue with that person about the deity of Jesus, you might want to use something neutral, like just I would also give you places that they also have in their Bible that prove that Jesus is God. So let's go on. Um, so, by true also he made the world. Next verse. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Let me just, the first two lines. He said, who being the brightness of his glory, meaning Jesus and the express image of his person, meaning the glory of God who nobody has ever seen before was embodied in this person, Jesus. And the image of God who nobody has ever comprehended before was embodied in this person, Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the full representation of God in human form. That's what these two lines tell you. And upholding all things by the word of his power When he had by himself purged our sins, sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. Next verse. Having become so much better than the angels. So this already hints you that Jesus was not an angel because it it tells you that he's so much better than the angels. As he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. next verse. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Now, this, the writer is telling, is telling his audience, okay, if you think Jesus is an angel, when did God ever say to an angel, you are my son? Today have I begotten you. And again, that's, that's one line. Then he's using another line to buttress what he just said. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, these were texts p- picked from the Old Testament. Next verse. That verse was a question. Now he's reconciling that question. He's saying, but when, but when he, he again brings the firstborn into the world, referring, the firstborn here is referring to Jesus. He says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now, angels don't worship angels. Like, I've never seen where an angel worships another angel. So this tells you that Jesus himself was not an angel. And the previous verse just portrays the fact that God himself called Jesus Christ son, separating him from the classes of angels. And verse
3: 7. Verse 7.
4: And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Next verse. But to the sons, he say, but to the son, he says, Your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Next verse. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions next you lord now remember that he said to the son he said he was talking about all everything he's, he was saying in the previous verse was talking about the son how he loved righteousness and hated wickedness so god has anointed him better than his companion now he's saying you lord in the beginning the same person he was referring to, he, the son, he has called him Lord, yeah, and it's put in bold. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Remember, I told you in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was that word, and that was that's what he's referring here. He has told, he has joined. That's a um, previous verse to this one, referring to the sun and calling the Son Lord in this verse and telling us that in the beginning, the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of the hands of the Son, the word of God. Next. They will perish, but you will remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Next verse. Like a cloak, like a cloak, You will follow them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. And the last verse. Or to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? And if you if you're someone who knows a little bit about prophecy, when David was giving prophecy, David wrote some of the Psalms, and some of the Psalms were prophecies that they were. Um, the word is messianic prophecy. There were prophecies about the Messiah. And this was one of them. This was God telling Jesus. It was like, it's a prophecy of the finished work of Christ. Sit at my right hand, which was a place of authority, till I make your enemies your footstool. Next verse. I did not all ministry experience sent for? So now he's talking about angels. In the previous verse, he said, which of the angels did he tell this? Meaning that he didn't tell any angel that. Now he's talking about the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Meaning this verse is telling us that angels are servants to those who have inherited salvation, to you and I. They are to minister for us. That's why he says, Are did not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Meaning that Jesus is not an angel. Jesus had specific prophecies that specify that he is the son. He will be and he is the son of God. So that's the summary of Hebrews 1. Let me. So that you can use the entire Hebrews 1 to debunk the fact that Jesus was an angel. Verse 7 and 8 clears it up. Verse 1 to 6 tells us, that he is somebody who commands the worship of angel. The fact that he's son does not mean that he's not God, right? And although Hebrews is not ex- explicit about that he is God, but it gives you the hint that he was. If you know something about John one, you know that he's the Word, and it was by the Word that the worlds were created. The world meaning everything we see, the universe was created, and for him to be the one that created, for the son to, refer to be the, as the one that created the world, he has to be the word of God. And if he's the word of God, Hebrew one tells, um, John 1 tells us that he is God. So the issue people have with, oh, how can he be the son of God and be God at the same time is because we have a modern definition of what the word son means. And I'm going to clear up that definition later on down in this. So the next thing I would like to talk about is Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say I am? In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say I am? Because he wanted to know that he knew his disciples honored him, but he wanted to know what they honored he wanted to know who he was to them, like I um portrayed in the beginning of this teaching. It's very important to know the specifics: who is God, how do I worship Him, what should I worship, like what should inspire my worship. It was important to him, and it should be important to us. Who do men say I am? That's what Jesus. That's what Jesus asks his disciples. So. Give me a second. Okay, verse 16 from verse 13. And when Jesus came into the region of Syria and Philippine, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do men say, sorry, back to the previous verse. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, another others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So from this verse, you can already see that he was already put, they were already putting him in the classes of prophets. He's a great man, he's a miracle worker, but in their mind, he was just a prophet. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Next verse. Simon Peter answered and said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Next verse. Jesus answered, him, answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven. Now, note that they were putting him in the classes of prophets, which was to a Jew, that was a great thing. Meaning you were a miracle worker. You were somebody who God spoke to and true directly. But that was not enough because that's not supposed to be Christian revelation. Like I said, in the beginning, you need to know that Jesus is God and that it was God who became a man and died for your sin. Because it is very important Because no man is perfect enough to die for the sins of others or for the sins of the world. God had to be the lamb, the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. So once you remove that deity from Jesus, you have, in a way, broken the foundation of Christianity, of our faith. Because if he's not God, it means his death was, his sacrifice was not perfect. It means he was just a man. Okay, so that clears that up.
3: So, the next
4: section is something titled Following the Signals. Now, this is... um, These were the subtle forms Jesus was expressing or hinting to those around him, the Jews, that he was God. And just like... um, A modern day example would be um, a guy likes a girl, right? The girl likes him back, but the girl doesn't want to be forward. So she's trying to give hints that she likes him. Now, if you were like me, who was clueless until God changed my story, you wouldn't have picked those hints up. And that's the same thing that happened to the Jews here. They weren't picking up the hints that Jesus was giving about his sonship. I don't know why somebody's laughing in the comments, but giving it to God. Right? So Jesus, sometimes, especially when the Pharisees came and we're interrogating him, he didn't give direct answers. He gave subtle hints, subtle hints. Like when they said, um, give us a sign. He said, no sign shall be given unto you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Right? And he was pro- talking about his death that time because Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, meaning that Jonah died in case you don't, he didn't know that. But that's the topic for another day. So, that's why Jesus used that analogy because he didn't want to be direct. He, he was like teasing the Jews because even if he had told them directly, they were so puffed up in their knowledge of um, the Old Testament that they wouldn't have seen it. That's why he always, he told them that they should read the scriptures that they had, the scriptures are the same thing that prophesy and speak about him. So having said that, Let's follow the signs. If you read the Gospels, especially, if you study the communication of Jesus, you would have one of two conclusions. One, this man has to be God. Or number two, he's a fraud. And the Jews were tending, most of them were always tending to number two. He's a fraud. He cannot be God. How can you say you can be God? Now, please, for cultural context, you have to know that God has always been with the Jews, brought them out of Egypt. Anytime they misbehaved and were taken away, punished, he brought them out. He rescued them. He, like he has been the only, like he has been their rock and foundation, in quotes. He's the one they cry to and get rescued by. So God is God. And they were the only people like set of people that were called, called God's own. So they were holding these things very sacred. So for you as a man to come and say you are God, <laughs> ah, it was a hard thing to swallow, to be honest. A very hard thing to swallow. So their rage was understandable because one, they didn't have the eyes of revelation to see that. God decided about him coming as a man. So that sacredness they gave to God, although some of them were hypocritical, that sacredness they gave to God was the same thing that fueled their rage against how can a man tell me that he's the same with God? And we know that the scripture said that God was, and Jesus did not count being equal with God. Robbery, that he let that go, he let go of those privileges to become a man that he could die for our sins. So that scripture already tells us that he was God. But to the Jews, it was a hard thing to swallow. You cannot be God. You are a man. We can see you. We know where you live. We know how you we know when you we were born. We know your father and your mother. So how can you be God? So that was the issue they had. So the way Jesus spoke, it would have been wrong for a prophet to speak like that. It would have been wrong for, um, for example, for prophet Isaiah to say, "You have heard that it was written, so so and so, but I say." So, it's like saying um, the president of a nation says, uh, the president of a nation gives a law. Let's say in a, um, in a government setting where the president's word is final say. It's not democratic. So the president gives a a law and then somebody else comes and says, oh, it's written in our law in this country that blah, 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 blah. But I'm saying that this is a better way and this is what we must take. You know there will be reactions towards that because who are you to override the authority of, of the president? That's what was happening here. Who are you to override the sayings that God gave Moses? Who are you to say Moses said this, but I say this? For you to override the holy scripture that was given through Moses, you we'll have to be higher than Moses. And Moses was very revered in their culture because Moses was had direct communication with God. For example, it was through Moses that the law came. So that was very, 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 very touchy for them. And that's why they had a lot of rage towards Jesus. So let's read uh, Matthew five eleven. This is the Beatitudes and Jesus spoke. <laughs> like this was, I think this was one of the first um, scenarios where he was pressing buttons in quotes in the Jews. Are amongst the Jews, he said, "Blessed are you when they revile, when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake." Next verse. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Next verse. Okay, no, let me just take those two verses. So, a prophet would have said blessed are you for following me and being persecuted because we both follow God. So I'm a prophet and you want to follow me. Let's say I'm Elijah and you want to be my assistant and they're persecuting me. Indirectly, you'll be persecuted. But because I'm following God, you are blessed, right? So as a prophet, I would say blessed are you for following me because I follow God. Well, he was saying blessed are you when you're persecuted because you are being persecuted for my sake. And in the, old, in the Old Testament, it was prophets who were persecuted because they were speaking for God. Let's take an example, First Kings 18, verse 2. First Kings 18, verse 22. This is prophet Elijah. And the Israelite had turned to other gods and he was lamenting to God. Then Elijah said, I am alone left a prophet of the Lord, but Paul's prophets are 150. So Elijah was complaining to God that, no, no, just that part. So Elijah was complaining to God that I'm alone, meaning that I am the only one standing in defense of your name. Every other person has turned away, meaning there was indirectly going to be a persecution towards Elijah. Another example was um, Jeremiah. During the reign of Zedekiah of Judah, Jeremiah takes the elders and the priests priests to the Valley of Hinnom and smashes a clip or to illustrate what the Lord says will happen to Judah. I will break this nation and this city just as someone breaks a clay that cannot be put together again. Now, these prophets were people who were given like things that were not suitable to. For, for, exa- for example, imagine you were a child of you were an Israelite, and this kind of prophecy came to you. It's not a prophecy of, it's not a good prophecy, it's a prophecy of doom, right? And because these prophets gave these prophecies, a lot of them were persecuted. A lot of them were killed, a lot of them. That's why um, in the New Testament, I think it was Stephen when he was being persecuted, he said, he was telling the Israelites that so you persecuted the prophets that came before you, that your, your people always kill anyone that speak about God. So all from the Old Testament down to the New Testament, persecution had always been against prophets. Now for... Somebody to now come and say, um, because of God, they were being persecuted. For somebody to come and say, people will be persecuted because of me, not because of God. That was already something that was hinting that Jesus was God. But let's move forward to points that clarify this. So in Matthew five seventeen, Jesus was speaking about the law, the law that Moses gave the Israelites. And he says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. Now, it's very important to know that the person who gave the law was God through Moses. Right? And for hundreds of years, they've been living with this law. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It had been ingrained in their being. Right? And this, is, this was what every um, Jew was to live by. So, for somebody to come and say that I did, I, I did not come to destroy the law, the first question you ask is who are you? What authority do you have to add or remove to the law? That you will not say, I did not come to destroy the law. So, this now proves the point that I said that is either he was a fraud or he was God, because only God could destroy the law. Only the person who gave the law could take it away if he was going to take it away. So he was saying, I did not come to destroy the law of the prophet. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. Not only did he say he did not come to destroy, hinting that he had the authority or hinting a sense of someone who had the authority to give or to remove the law, but he's now saying that he will fulfill it. Ah! This is a very, very, very bold statement. It's If this man is egocentric or he is God, so let's go to another point. In Matthew four, verse six. Please, if I'm going too fast, please slow me down. In Matthew four, verse six, and this was the temptation of. This was the temptation of Jesus Christ when the devil was tempting him in the wilderness. And now this is the devil saying to Jesus, and he sa- and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. But it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands shall they bear you or l- lest you dash your foot against a stone. Next verse. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. No, I I know many of us just, we think that Jesus was just quoting this verse because it was written, right? But note that Jesus was the one being tempted here. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, meaning he was referring to himself as God. And the devil could not answer this because it was true. And after he says, the devil had no reply. So Jesus was telling him, it is written, don't in in modern day, guy, don't tempt me. It's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In that way, inferring that he was God. The person who was being tempted was God.
3: Another scripture was Matthew. Matthew 7, verse
4: 21. Okay, this is... Um, wait, sorry. Matthew 7, 21. Yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Who are you, Jesus? Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he was the will of my father. This is already hinting again that he, Jesus had authority over who makes heaven and who doesn't. Because is either that that or he was a fraud? Because this statement is too egotistical for a man to say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Is it that you have the authority to make to, make, to give people access to heaven, but you don't. And if you don't, that means you're a fraud. But if you do, it means you're God. And for him to say this, it meant he was God. Another, another um, verse of scripture was Matthew 13, verse 14. So the previous verse, he was talking about the ability to end to grant people access to heaven. And that is something only God could do. Now, he, he's talking about sending, in this verse, he's talking about sending out angels, which means he had authority over angels and command over angels. He was not talking about someone who the angels were ministering to, just like we see in Hebrews 1:14. He's talking about, this is referring to someone who has command over angels. And he says,
3: sorry. Sorry, 41, not, not 14, 41.
4: The son of man will send out his angels. Now he was given a parable of um harvest here, and now he was he got to this verse and he said, The son of man, referring to himself, will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice. Lawlessness. Now he's saying the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather. And now, you if you read the parable from where it starts to this point, you see that the son of man, whoever is going to send out his angels, had to be somebody who was going to gather into his kingdom. And that had to be God. And so for him to refer to himself, the son of man will send out his angels. He was saying, I am God, and I have command over angels. At the last days, During the time of harvest, I will send out my angels to gather out of my kingdom all those things that offend and will practice lawlessness, declaring once again that he is God. Because no natural man could talk like this. A proof that no natural man could talk like this is in Acts 12, verse 21 to 23. Let's quickly go to Acts 12, verse 21 to 23. Because if you were a man saying that you were God, this was something that happened to people who said they were God. So on a second Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God, the voice of a God, and not a man. Then immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. So if he, Jesus, was a man and not God and was making these statements, hinting that he was God, indirectly and directly declaring to the Jews that he was God, something like this would have happened to him because he was put himself in a position equal to God which no man should. Because that's one thing about the holiness of God. It's God is the only one that is that holy. And for so a man to want to put himself in the standard of God, it can't happen. That's what happened to Herod here. So if Jesus was not God, these two, something like this would have happened. So that's proof that Jesus was God. He could make all these bold, bold statements without any repercussions. Then let's go to the "I am" statements. Now, this is in the book of John. So Jesus made a lot of statements about himself. "I am the bread of life." Statements like "I am the light of the world," "I am the way, the truth, and the life," "I am the resurrection and the life," and these are statements you could only make if you were truly those things. The bread of life meaning you were the one who gives life and only God gave life. It was God who created man and it was God who could give man life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are both statements that only God can make. No man. Before and after Jesus has made these statements. So, let's open John 6, 35. Ah, wow. Okay, I'm going to rush the remaining parts. So let me just give the um, Bible verses for this. I'm the bread of life, John 6, 35. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, who believes in me shall never thirst, meaning he could satisfy, and only God can satisfy. Next is, I'm the light of the world, John 8, 12. No, I'm just going to give, I'm just going to give um, I'm just give the text. Sorry, give me a second. John 12, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6 to 7. John 14, 6 to 7. I'm the resurrection and I'm the resurrection and the life. John 11, verse 25. So now I'm moving on to the Another example, the young rich ruler. This we all know the story of the young rich ruler. He came to Jesus and said, "Okay, what can I do to be to to attain righteousness and the rest?" And excuse me, Jesus quoted the Ten Commandments, and he quoted the last five of the Ten Commandments. And the young rich ruler said, "Oh, I do all these things because those." Ten Commandments could be summarized into two parts, like seen in Matthew 22, verse 37, when Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So dividing the first half of the Ten Commandments and the second half, the first half is love towards God and the second half is love towards man. And Jesus knew that he he was doing all right with the love towards man. It wasn't doing well with love towards God. So Jesus, instead of Jesus quoting the the first five commandments, he told him, he summarized it and said, sell all you have and follow me. And this was indirectly saying, follow me because I am God. Remember, the first five commandments are love towards God. So for Jesus to say, sell all you have and follow me, he's saying, love nothing else. Accept me. Let me be your sole treasure. That's one thing that you love. So that was hinting that he was. That's why the young ritualer was sad because he didn't have perfect love towards God. So Jesus is called savior. This is another point. Jesus is called savior. In Acts thirteen twenty three, from the descendants of man, according to this promise, God has brought a savior Jesus that the apostles were putting the word savior and Jesus he were referring to Jesus as a savior in Luke 2 verse 11 for today in the city of David there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord so in prophecy Jesus was going to come and save sin save man from his sin that is why he was called savior and we all see that The word Savior and Lord and Jesus were put side by side. And Isaiah 43 verse 11 says, I, even I am the Lord and beside me, there is no Savior. So now all through scripture, we see Savior used to refer to God and Jesus Christ, meaning that he was God and he was Savior and he was a man. Jesus is Lord. Now, this is another important part. This point, Jesus is Lord. Names are very important in the Bible, especially the name Yahweh, which was referred, used to refer to God. The name Yahweh was so sacred that the scribes had to take their bath anytime they had to write it in scrolls when they were transcribing. Okay, let me go on. Um, they had to take their baths any time they were transcribing that word Yahweh. So if they were transcribing it five times, they would take their baths five times. And in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the word Yahweh and Adonai were translated as Lord, meaning that Jesus is Lord. Um, next verse, the next point is that it was prophesied that Jesus was going to be Lord. In Jeremiah 23, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. His days In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safe, safely. Now this is his name, by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. And we know that this prophecy was talking about Jesus. so. This first verse was written in bold to emphasize that he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. The word Lord was already prophesied at way back as far as when Jeremiah prophesied. So before the birth of Jesus, he was already said that he was going to be Lord. The next um, point is when people were inspired by um, the Spirit and they spoke about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. An example of this is Mary, when she visited, um, Elizabeth, when Mary visited her, in Luke 1, verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the the greeting of Mary, that the baby lived in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, "Blessed Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? Referring that Jesus, even as a baby, was Lord. Angels also declared him as Lord in Luke 2 verse 11. And now they were, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the field Um then the last verse that, that seals this up is in Exodus 20, verse nine, God gave an, a commandment that the, the Israelites were going to walk six days and on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, meaning that day was reserved to God. Then fast forward to Mark 22, verse 28, Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath and the Pharisees and the Jews, they were attacking him. Why would you heal on the Sabbath? And he gave... All his defense, then he ended with, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he was calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath, and we know from Exodus that the Sabbath is for the Lord your God, meaning that he was saying he was God too. So lastly, the terminology of how he was son. Jesus is son, is the son of God because he had no natural father. If you look at the genealogy of Luke, when Luke was given the lineage of um, Jesus Christ, Adam also was called the son of God because he had no father. So the terminology son of God was given to someone who has no natural father. And there were only two people like that in the Bible, Jesus and Adam, because God created Adam and also God was the one who facilitated the conception of Mary giving birth to Jesus. This can be found in Luke 1, 30, and the genealogy can be found in Luke 1, 2. Also, the wise men also saw him more than a baby because they brought gifts. They, when they got to the manger, they bowed down and they worshiped. And that shows you that they didn't just see him as a baby. It just, I round up with this. Just imagine that three grown men or three presidents come And they enter a ninja, dirty, stinking, full of animal feces, and they come in front of a baby who cannot speak, who doesn't even, in quotes, know that they are there. They bow down and they worship and present expensive gifts. It just shows you that they already knew that this person was more than a man, he was God. So, to round up, Jesus was God out of all the scriptures I've given you. He was God, but he was also a man. Thank you. Hope you're blessed.
3: Thank you so much. Um, okay, so we have... Sorry, can you guys hear me?
2: Yeah, we, we can. can. All right, sorry. Yeah, thank you, man. You guys, if if there has been any doubt before now in your heart, or you've had any questions about the deity of Christ, or just you've not been sure, you've not been certain, I'm hoping that this session has done justice to that because I think it has. So I want you guys in Bmg fashion right now again to say thank you. To our teacher for today. Thank you, Myro. You can unmute yourself. Thank you, so much, Mario. Thank you Myro. Thank so much. So thank, much. You thank you, Mario. Elaborate. Thank so you. It's, so it's so it's some people call him Mario and that's wrong. So I'm just <laughs> he's not Mario. He's not the character in the game. He's <laughs> he's Mario. Um,
1: Mario. Bro,
2: thank you so much. This was a great session. Um, I want us to answer a few questions because I know there were some questions um asked and then some people might have more questions to ask but as usual we have all these teachings recorded so if you missed anything and you didn't take enough notes you'll always be able to go to the podcast and listen to it all right i think it's loaded with scriptures loaded with evidence you should not be you should never say that you're a member of bmg and you cannot prove you know the deity of christ that that should never be heard all right deal all right so let's have the first question i know already had a question um so let's take that one first um and then Toya c wants to know if she can ask a question so at this point you can type your question in the chat we'll try to answer it real quick because we still need to um take announcements as well so a lot of this question is um is it okay for us to make bold statements about our identity directly referring to statements made by only jesus for example. Can we say, I am the bread of life? Um, so do you want to talk to that, Myra?
4: Um, The first um, thing you should do about statements like this is read the initial context. Who was talking and why was he saying that? Now, for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life, he was talking about him being mm-hmm. the way, the the one thing that can satisfy man, Right. You and I are not the bread of life. We have fellowship with the bread of life, right? He's the one that has enabled us to live, to have life in him, to have relationship with God. But you cannot say I'm the bread of life. Neither can you say I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one person who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why Jesus said, without me, no one can go to the Father, right? So, there are specific statements you cannot repeat as a believer, as yourself. You can only say that Jesus is that, right? But there are also scriptures that we can repeat, especially the epistles where you can see, um, I've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Especially um, if you want to make bold statements about your identity, it should be directed to the finished work and its results. Right. right, the repercussions of what Jesus has done and know who Jesus said he is, mm-hmm. in quotes. So, I cannot say I'm I, Myra, I'm the bread of life because saying right. that means that I'm saying I give life and I mm-hmm. give salvation, mm-hmm. in quotes. Because life here was referring to salvation and not just oh, um, leading somebody to the gospel.
2: Yeah, amen. I agree. Just to add one more thing to that, I think, um, you can say things like I am the light of the world. Why? Because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So it's just basic context, like he said. Um, At the same time, um, you need to also remember that um, what what you say is super important. And and even though it's important, how you say it too is important. What is on in your mind when you say it? Because a lot of times it's not just the words, but the, the motive and the attitude behind what you're saying. So thank you so much for that. Um, this second question, <laughs> um, is from Tuyasi. Tuyasi says, why was he called the son of man? So I have a short answer. Don't miss any of the teachings this month. All right. Um, because we are going to answer that question specifically. What does son of God mean? What does son of man mean? All these things in scripture, but just to give you a little teaser, well, the son of man is a prophetic term to refer to to jesus who would come and save um the son of god has another meaning it means do, he does not have a human origin all right so for example adam is called son of god jesus himself is also called son of god in the scriptures so he has a different meaning but what you need to remember is like i said don't miss anything don't miss any of the sessions next week we're talking and um, we're going to have some announcements but next week we're going to be talking about something very important. Today, we've learned about God in man, right? The fact that a man, <laughs> this is real. A man that lived on the earth was actually God. God was here. He was here. That's a
4: big thing. All right, very big deal. Yes. But next, if we I, I, learn, Yeah. Last thing to what sure. you said. So um, because I was rushing, I didn't read my last point, And that was Isaiah 7 Verse fourteen does what you just said now, um it says, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the name Emmanuel here means literally God with us. It doesn't right. mean the presence of God or um the backing of God because God had always been with the Israelites. Like Moses said, we right. don't go. If you don't go with us, we won't go. So God had been with them all throughout. But Emmanuel was a specific term referring to the fact that God was going to be a man and he was going to walk among the Israelites. God with us. That's what it means, literally. God with us.
2: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, And if you've been a BMG member for a while, you probably know that as well. There's one more question. The question is, can this world be called holy because God was once oh because God once lived here okay this is a good question because last month our teaching series was the whole like was Hegios holiness right we talked about the holiness of God and all of those things so that's a very brilliant question um so remember in in defining what holiness is we said something is holy when God declares it holy so I think specifically the ground was declared holy Uh, the holy ground right in exodus because god deemed it so the articles of worship in the temple were deemed or called holy because god said it it was god called us holy but we don't have any specific scripture where god calls the earth holy so that's the that's the best way i'll answer that question um there is actually a prophecy that everything will be brought back under the authority of god because of what christ has done and at that point all things Will now be declared holy in the practical sense that they all belong to God. It's always belonged to God, but in the full sense of redemption, everything will be under um, the authority of Christ. And then Christ would be under the authority of God. That's just a um a teaching, 1 Corinthians 15, 29. All right. So, but that's 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 the answer I would give. It doesn't mean everything is holy. Um, God has to declare thing holy. All right. Again, thank you so much, Mario. That was an amazing session. And um, we'd love to hopefully have you on this platform again and again. All right.
0: Okay. Thank
2: that you, everybody. Was... See you guys.
0: Hey there. So we've come to the end of this teaching session, and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma, to interpreting the Bible world well, and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on Mixlr or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmg live 4 that's the number four, or you can look in the description and you'll find the link the website there. We hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith.